At this time, I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We have been studying this passage for uh, a good while now, going through it verse by verse. And uh, normally, uh, it would be uh, at this time where I would start with verse 17, going through verse 24, and to try to explain this passage to you, especially in light of all that we know so far in the book of Ephesians. But what I'd like to do is spend less time explaining and more time praying, and for us to pray together, uh, not just through verse 24, but I think through uh, verse 32 of our, our book. Uh, I'm always amazed at how God uses Scripture in our church life. Uh, as you well know, my model is to typically go verse by verse, and uh, I never know when I pick a book exactly what's going to be happening in the life of our church uh, when I get to that chapter. But I always, when I see it pointed in amazing ways, I see that never as an accident. It is, I believe, always of God's choosing and directing in ways that we can uh, not quite figure out. And so it's that thought of mine that as I look in this book and where we're at, I think that perhaps... This passage from 17 to 32 might speak mightily, by the Lord's help, to our hearts. Um, And so I'm going to ask that we prayerfully read this, think through it, in way of uh, introducing it. I just kind of bring some things to mind. I hope you have your Bibles open, okay, because we'll be looking or you have it on or something. Um, If you remember, at the end of chapter 3, Verse 14 is this powerful prayer in light of the fact that we are members of one another and that we are a place of worship to God as a community of faith, not location, but people. He asks us to pray for something. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, and him be glory in the church." I would say glory in green pines. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's the light of this massive prayer for us to be strengthened, to know the love of God, to be the church that God calls to be. You have chapter 4, it, uh, therefore, because of that. And verses 1 through 16, he says, because of who God has made you and the love that we know and we pray that God is working in our life, be unified. And how to be unified. Verses 1 through 16. And then in verse 17 through 32. He says, in light of the love of Christ and who you are as a church. And what God is doing among you. Then there is a certain way we conduct ourselves with one another. And that's where we find ourselves. Verse 17 through 24. Next time, chapter 5, is what does love look like? among the different offices. 
Next week, um, I will not be here. Ripken Holt will be preaching uh, for us somewhere up there. Um, Ripken is, uh, will be leaving shortly this summer to go to Liberty. Uh, and so this is an opportunity for us to hear from him. Uh, that is not, I don't tell you that to, so you don't attend. I tell you that so you will attend, okay, uh, because he is a blessing, uh, and I think you will be greatly encouraged by, by this young man uh, and uh, teaching the Word of God. Uh, so with that in mind, knowing that spiritual life happens from the inside out, what does it look like when it does go out among one another? So verse 17 through 24 is a preamble Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So the Gentiles is a way of saying those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. We are to be different in how we live. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what you have, first of all, is understanding what we've got is in the unbelievers, those who do not know Jesus Christ, there is a hard-hearted hearing to the Word of God. Notice it says they're darkened in their understanding. Why are they darkened in their understanding? Because there's separation between them and God. When there is separation between you and God, the Word of God will not come alive to you. I remember times and seasons of my life when I was walking in willful disobedience to God. And it seemed like someone explaining the Word of God to me was like putting me to sleep. It dulled me. Why? Because my heart was alienated from God. Why are they alienated from God? Because of ignorance that is in them. They are not knowing things about who Jesus Christ. Why are they not knowing about Jesus Christ? Because hardness of heart. And when you're hard-hearted to the gospel, you are soft-hearted to your desires. So you see what happens. As you keep on reading, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The word greedy there is uh, desirous. Sometimes it's usually translated lust, but usually we have sexual uh, uh, understanding with that word, but it's much more general than that, is to say that you're given over to desires that is inordinate, that is beyond what should be. So it doesn't really matter the object of desire. It could be that it's toward business and toward uh, your children or toward having a guy in your life or a girl in your life. It could be any number of things uh, like that. Uh, And so they're given to these things because the gospel has lost place in the heart. But verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's referring to a spiritual inward work being done in our heart. What does that look like? What does it practically look like when the Spirit of Christ is working in our heart? What does the behavior uh, represent? I'm going to ask now that we stand.
So we read this together, and then we're going to take this verse by verse and pray through it. So now that we've put on the new self, true righteousness, holiness, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You may be seated. Verse 25, I want to try to connect the external behavior with what God is doing inside our heart because this isn't just moralism. This isn't just you behave right and maybe God will bless you. That's what most religions are, including many people in Christianity think that way. But Christianity is what God does in our heart and the external behavior flows from what comes out from what God is doing. So therefore, the first thing he tells us to do, because we're members of one another, because of who we are, the God of truth resides in our community, and he is to be strengthening our heart. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one another. When we lie to one another, we are lying to ourselves, and we're lying to God. Remember, the church, the community of faith, is a community that God is in and through and above. When we lie to the church, we are lying to God as we lie to one another. With that thought in mind, I want us to take, each time we read this, I want us to just take some moments for us to think through personally. Read the passage in front of you and ask God to reveal any way that we have or you have lied to a brother and sister in Christ. So let's close our eyes now.
reading in verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It seems to imply in verse 26 that there is such an idea of sinning and anger that can be separate. That anger does not have to be sin. But yet, in verse 31, you also have bitterness, wrath, and anger to be put away. Anger often comes when you love someone. And as such, when it's motivated out of loving a person, loving God, it can have a healthy role as an effect of love. But most of our anger is motivated out of a selfish heart and direction. Someone did you wrong and hurt you in some way. How do we know the difference? I think part of the clue is found in verse 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That is not to say to make sure that all disagreements are reconciled before the, before the sun goes down. As it is to say that when anger impacts your heart, that it's when selfishly motivated anger, that it will fester in your heart and keep you up at night. You probably have experienced that before, I have. And this is the type of anger that is being addressed here. That's how you know that it's selfishly driven, that it's something that you can't let go of when it's a love fueling your anger, then because of love, you let it go easily. But when it's connected with your pride, it's harder to let go. The warning that he gives here is that when we walk down those paths in our heart and attitude, that it opens up a door for Satan to work through you and in the midst of the body. Give no opportunity to the devil. If we thought that perhaps there was a spot on you that had cancerous uh, connections, you would want to get it removed fast. I would present to you that the influence of Satan is as a cancer among a body. To pay more attention to the anger in your heart than you might that freckle on your skin. To say it as, as dangerous or more so. I want to take some time now after hearing this passage and ask God to identify in our hearts angry, selfish motivated anger that we would ask God to move in our hearts that we could surrender ourself in that moment and replace it with love. Let's pray.
Father, you know our hearts so well. And it is hard for us to let go of prideful anger. Lord, I can sense within my own heart the tendency to want to justify to myself and to you sufficient reason why I should hold on in anger. God, help us. May we not be calloused to you and soft-hearted to our pride. Speak, Lord, in ways we know. Now, Lord, perhaps if we're wrestling even now, you let us know who we're wrestling with. And if it's you, then we wrestle no more. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. There is perhaps a behavior that we're doing where we are stealing from one another by our time, our resources, our stealing from those in our work how we're working or stealing from the government. This is something that Jesus is saying if we are a community of faith with God in the midst of us, instead of clamoring after stuff, we're to be giving stuff. Why are we working? So that we have something to share with anyone in need. So within this also, God is putting an open-hand generosity to mark the believers. Perhaps we need to ask God about that in our life now, if you'll pray. Lord, I pray that as you speak to our heart, that you would help us be very clear in what action that you would have us to do to make things right. You give us the courage to go to a brother or sister to seek forgiveness. verse 29 says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it is to say that our communication the people around us should be better 
for hearing us talk. That it makes room for the mistakes of others, giving grace to those who hear. It is at this point I wish to confess to you as a church, as a pastor, and seek your forgiveness. The conversation I had with the senior choir to explain position changes with Bud and the role of the choir. And trying to express the need for long-range continued growth, I used this statement, asking folks to consider in four to five, eight, ten years, how many of us would be alive with the understanding that many of us would be dead. Of course, I'm included in that, can be. But in my desire to communicate the need, it communicated something much less than what a pastor should communicate in expressing love to those that were in our senior choir. And that was wrong. And I do not want to, want my heart to be expressed that way, to be known that way, because it's not fitting of a pastor to express that. So I stand guilty before you with talk that has not been building up, but it was corrupting. I can only ask that you forgive me of that communication. I got to put it in your heart to do so and seek to change my own heart to make sure that I don't issue such statements again that comes across as callous and careless because I do not want to be careless or callous with our church. Pastor, I need you to hear me in a very public way. And I pray that those hearts that have been injured in that statement could be healed and have grace. It may be that you yourself find yourself in a similar situation as my as I which you might need to issue a confession, an apology to someone else. There is room and place in this setting right now to stand up, walk over to that person, and seek an apology and confess. There is no shame here. There is the grace of God. And grace comes through humbling. So push shame away. I'm going to ask that we pray. If you need to get up, this is a good time to do so.
in verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. This is reminding us that what we have in common is a person, a relationship that is to be alive and active. If we are not in step with the Holy Spirit of God, we are not in step with one another. But I want you to catch the emotion. Grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This grieves the Holy Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has immense love for you. An immense love for His church. And so when we walk out of step with the Spirit of God and His directives, though no one else may know, and it could be just you in your own heart know, Understand that by faith, there is a Holy Spirit who sees, is aware, and is grieved. And to think that perhaps maybe we can continue on with the blessings of the Holy Spirit, while at the same time grieving the Holy Spirit, we are lying to ourselves. We do not want to mess with the Spirit of God because it's by Him we are sealed for the day of redemption. My hope, if by chance I know that I'm about to have my last heartbeat, my hope, and the only hope I've got at that moment is that the Spirit of God will carry me into His presence when my heart stops beating. He is not someone that we want to grieve. He is God. I want to take a moment for us to be quiet before the Lord, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us blind. And as painful as it is to hear your pained voice, 
and questions. They're sweet because it gives us life. And the greatest tragedy is to not ever hear from you and to leave us in a hard-hearted state. Father, as pastor, I want to just express to you will you forgive us as a church for grieving you. Father, for me grieving you. Lord, would you produce in me and our church a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit and we would keep obeying you so that you would keep talking to us. Lord, that when there is a temptation to disobey, Lord, that you would bring to our heart and mind what is at stake that our ears would remain open. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So you think about the words bitterness and wrath and anger and malice, clamor. None of us want to identify ourselves as that. But may, what if I said the word irritated? Irritation, annoyance. Maybe we're using the word frustration. Consider how that might be a possible word that you're using to cover up for bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice, slander. to talk down a person, a brother, a sister in Christ. To degrade the character. You have no cause, just suspicion. Let us go to God and ask Him to speak and examine our hearts on that.
verse 32, we have a positive command. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The kindness that we give to one another, a tenderheartedness, it's a sensitivity that we have for the hurts and pains of others among us. The kindness is that sensitivity in action that we demonstrate that our heart breaks for others. Understand that there will be many in our church body that is hurting and perhaps angry with news revealed this morning. I would just encourage us to be tender-hearted, kind to one another. It is not to go ruthlessly among your way, but to pay attention. Forgiving one another does not mean that we forget. Fortunately, we don't have that capacity. God may give you a miracle. But it means that we will no longer hold it against that person. To look at them and say, God can forgive. I will no longer hold it against you. It does not mean that person goes away unpunished. God is in charge of things like that. And it does not mean necessarily that you are as you were before in close, tight friendships. That involves reconciliation. Reconciliation takes more than forgiveness. It takes forgiveness with expressed repentance. But reconciliation cannot take place unless there is forgiveness. The forgiveness of one another is fueled primarily by our worship. Why do we need to worship God? Because in worshiping God, I learn how to treat one another. When our personal worship is weak, our personal relationship cannot be touched by the gospel and grace. When we see relationships marred by unforgiveness, then it reveals inevitably that our personal worship is absent. Forgiving one another as in God and Christ forgave you. We've listed several things that Scripture brings to our mind. It may very well be that you may sitting here thinking this is not an encouraging message. I walk away much with my head down. Listen, here's the good news. God has known what has been in your heart. And He has been aware long before you. And He has longed to forgive you more than you wanted to sin. And at the moment you come to Him and acknowledge He will make real in relationship what has been true by position. What do I mean by that? You have been and you will be God's child. But your relationship has been marred. Our fellowship has been broken. And God can make our fellowship clean 
from all unrighteousness. If we are faithful and just to confess our sins, He will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we are always His children, but now because He cleanses our sins, we can act like His children. And we can enjoy the relationship of being His child. So though you may have conviction in your heart, I'm going to say to you that the forgiveness and the cleansing is greater and can be greater than the conviction. God has spoken to you and revealed these things to you that your joy may be full. And it flows from the simple truth. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I ever doubt it, I look to the cross and there he died for me and rose again. Let us pray together. Asking God to teach us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted. That if there is an issue where we struggle in forgiveness, that we would forgive one another, not because of their conduct, but because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray.